Heavenly Father, we ask that today you would help us see clearly what you have to say to us, that you would help dispel all the things that stand between us and you, all the thoughts, all the preconditions, all the presumptions, all of our personal likes and dislikes, all those things so that we might be in close communion with you through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So today we're going to begin with Exodus chapter 20, the first six verses. Listen for what God has to tell you today. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods be beside me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am an impassioned God, visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then we're also reading today from Paul's letter to the first uh, to the first Corinthians. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It's the same group of Corinthians. So we're in chapter one, beginning. We're going to read verse eighteen, then we're going to jump to verse twenty-one. Paul writes, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Greeks, to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. I would add <clears throat> the message of the cross is foolishness to some. I hope it's not foolishness today. A little bit of a 
history lesson. Biblical history, that is. From the time of the Exodus and Moses, there are two cultures in the Bible. And the face of one of those cultures never changes. It's the culture of God. The face of the other culture changes over time, but it remains the same alternative culture, the same culture that is an alternative from God culture. This alternative is found in various people in the Bible. It's start, you know, in the Old Testament, you find it in the people who fought against the Israelites, the Philistines and the Malachites and all the others, the Iphlyakites. I don't know them. It's also in the Assyrian and the Babylonian oppressors, prominent and predominant during the exile. It's there among the Greek and the Roman overlord empires. In the fifth decade of the first century, it showed up with Nero and his persecution of Christians. When Jerusalem was destroyed in the seventh decade of the first century, it was there with Titus, the general of the Roman Legion of Palestine and Judea, and who later became emperor. But the granddaddy of all this alternative culture, at the very beginning, was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not just a ruler. In fact, we don't really, in the Bible, we don't even get Pharaoh's actual name. We just get Pharaoh. So he's more of an archetype, a symbol. Uh, he's the ruler and especially the designer and the champion of a culture that existed in the biblical accounts of Egypt. Biblical accounts of the conditions that the Israelites lived under in Egypt. He was abusive and his narcissistic building projects relied on forced labor. Human dignity? Well, human dignity was there at the whim of Pharaoh. He gave it and took it away as he pleased. And for those who were not honored, who did not have the Pharaoh's favor, punishment was likely at a moment's notice. Don't forget that Pharaoh, like Herod, centuries later, eliminated threats to his power with violence. This culture, the Egyptian culture under Pharaoh, taught the Israelites something. It couldn't help but have an effect on their, their outlook. I think it gave them an instinct for survival. It did not give them a vision for the future. It did not give them a joyful anticipation of tomorrow morning. Just 
at the end of the day, a kind of relief for having survived that day. I imagine a certain wise street smarts developed among them. They knew how to get along and survive, and it was a certain attitude that was necessary for survival. Maybe even a certain rationalizing so that they could survive. Rationalizing events, conditions, at the expense of a neighbor, perhaps. Don't get involved when your neighbor is suffering under the lash of a labor supervisor because you might get the lash yourself. Don't share what you have because there may be no more tomorrow. Don't go out on a limb for anybody. Don't be vulnerable for anybody. And always, always, always remember that brutal force and power win. Understand that justice is whatever the strong man says it is. And you know, sooner or later, Pharaoh's culture, if you were embedded in that culture, Pharaoh's culture becomes your culture. We learn how to get by. It's just the wise thing to do, after all. The Bible says, though, that God's people felt pain in the middle of all this, and God heard their cry, and God delivered them. But as we read in the Old Testament in Exodus this morning, God also intended that the Israelites learn a new and different way of being a culture, a different way of living. Now that they were delivered from the grip of Pharaoh's culture and the, the wisdom of that culture, well, they're going to learn God's foolishness. They're still going to gripe a lot. It's not enough water, not enough food, the journey is hard. This really is foolish. This was supposed to be our deliverance. We were foolish to go along with it, maybe. I'm sure they thought that this new life of wandering through the wilderness, I'm sure they thought that it was actually pretty stupid. Remember several times they declare that they'd much rather go back. They said they would rather die in captivity in Egypt with full bellies than starve as free people. Obviously, the culture of Pharaoh and Egypt were deeply embedded in their psyches in their way of thinking, in their outlook. And it was going to take a lot to shake it loose from them. God made this new covenant. And the first article of that new covenant was that the people had to agree that the only God, only the God of their deliverance was God. Only the God of deliverance was God. 
The enslaving Pharaoh was not a god. He claimed he was a god, but he was not. There were no other gods that they might encounter along the journey of their lives either. There was only God, Yahweh, Elohim, Rock, and Redeemer. The God of salvation, the God of the Exodus, the God who vanquished the armies of Egypt. People of God would no longer live according to the abusive culture of Pharaoh that teaches people how to be abusive. At the end of the day, that's what all abusive cultures do. They teach citizens how to be abusive. Now, the Israelites are going to live according to a set of standards that are set down by this God of deliverance. That's got to be different. And the nature of a delivering God, well, that's going to be the nature of their culture. And it's a tough transition for them to make. 400 years they lived in Egypt. And now they've got to come out and in just a generation be transformed into a completely different kind of people. And sure, there are commandments. In the subsequent verses of this chapter, there are 10 commandments. But overall, there are a lot more. And all those commandments are specifically predicated on one thing. And that is the fact that God had delivered them, had saved them. They are not a pathway to a reward. The reward had already been received. They are a pathway to a kind of living, a culture, a new culture that's directly opposite of the old culture under Pharaoh and Pharaoh's exhausting demands. Pharaoh's claim of wisdom is now in these commandments shown to be foolish. You don't have to live that way. Advance the clock now to the first century. And surprisingly, the grip of Pharaoh's culture still holds. People of God are still inclined to live according to the wise street smarts that say, love yourself more than anything. Self-preservation at all costs. Obey God when it suits you. You know, there's a thing called an Amazon.com Christian. You go online, you pick and choose the stuff you want and put it in your shopping cart. That's Christianity. Amazon.com Christianity is when you do that with how you're going to serve God when it suits you. Survive among all, above all else. Don't be vulnerable. Don't risk yourself, for other people, just survive. The Apostle Paul called this the law of human nature. But you see, God came into the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth <clears throat> to be among us in solidarity with us, to 
join us in our experience of the pressures of life, to join us in our experience of the anguish of life, to join us in our experience of what pressure and anguish do to the human spirit. <clears throat> Jesus tried to reteach that culture of the delivering God. But the religious hypocrites said he was a heretic. He was anti-establishment. He was anti-church. He was anti-cultural. Can't have that. Just look at what he taught. He taught that you need two commandments to live according to the culture of God. Love God and love your neighbor. That's all you need. Because those things encompass everything. He said that it, people who are exalted on the earth will not be exalted in God's kingdom. He said that those who are last here on earth will be first in God's kingdom. He even told about a profligate younger son who returned home and instead of being held accountable for every penny that he had wasted was given a huge party by his father. Jesus said that laborers who come to the vineyard at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, well, they receive the same full day's wage as the ones who came at 8 in the morning. And then one day, he enters the temple in John's Gospel and overturns the tables of the people who change money for pilgrims, Jews, from who are living in other countries and who have come on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And then he condemns the whole market system of providing sacrificial animals, a system that had been set up to meet the religious standards of the Torah. He challenged a wise and accepted cultural system. I think you can understand how absurd all this seemed at the time. I mean, you have this monolith of the temple and the religious establishment, and then you have Jesus over here, one lone individual, doesn't even have a home, and he's protesting against it and preaching against it. I think you and I would think that what he's doing is foolishness, because we all know that the norms of culture are wise simply because the majority of us live by them. Did you know there's even a fundamental law of economics that recognizes that if a critical mass of people follow a certain practice, then society will think that that practice is correct, whether or not it actually is? All it takes is a critical mass of people doing something to make society think that it's appropriate. It's just human nature. So this foolish Jesus, he had to go. 
He was an embarrassment. He was a danger to the wise culture of first century Palestine. I want you to take out your bulletin and you'll find in here under the sermon title the Shema. I'd like you to stand up and we're going to say it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Please be seated. Well, now you've done it. You have made an affirmation of faith. Sorry, I tricked you. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And now we have to ask if we really meant it when we said it. I mean, were we really foolish enough to say that out loud? Do we actually believe that this kingdom of God is wise after what we know about all the things Jesus said? Or is it just good for Sunday? Maybe that's our compromise. We can believe it on Sunday, but Monday, we got to go back to the wisdom of the world. God's kingdom is foolishness and our Pharaoh-based culture is wise, then surely the crucifixion of Jesus was complete nonsense. He was, after all, a convicted felon, executed for crimes against empire. said he was actually the bearer of God's forgiving and transforming love. Can you believe it? What a crazy statement that is. I mean, that, that is clearly foolishness. And following that kind of culture, well, that would at least be a sign of weakness, wouldn't it? I mean, if we actually did that, maybe we would be crazy. Paul tells us that strength and weakness don't mean the same thing in God's kingdom that they do in the world. Being generous toward those who would take advantage of your generosity, well, that's not weakness for God. That's a strength. Being vulnerable in situations when prudent people would make themselves secure, that's not a weakness. To God, that's a strength. Serving others rather than expecting to be served, that's not a weakness to God. That's a strength. Paul told the Corinthian church that they needed a new dictionary. Their worship of Christ was colored by their cultural practices shaped by their cultural practices. The Corinthian congregation had made their church look like the culture that they lived in. They made the church compatible with the culture. 
They did not try to change the culture to be compatible with the church. I'm afraid that our institutional church does pretty much the same thing. Because that's what we do. I mean, it's really not the church. It's the people who worship in the church that either accept as foolish the culture of God or accept or change the culture around them as being foolish. And so here we are in the middle of Lent. And for the time that remains, we're at the third Sunday in Lent. So for the time that remains in this season of Lent, we, we can be deliberately foolish. Just depends on how willing we are to be foolish in the eyes of the culture around us. How willing are you to be considered foolish by your neighbor? God was foolish when he crucified, when, he, when Christ was crucified. And we can be foolish every time we practice the self-sacrificing culture of Christianity. We can be like those who foolishly stood vigil at the foot of the cross as Christ died. Not the wise and powerful ones who went away shaking their heads in disgust. The foolish ones who on that day were emancipated by the delivering God. Amen.